Good morning. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. It is such a wonderful thing to get up in the morning and to be able to be together with you and to share words of Torah. It just sets the day on the right direction. And I'm very grateful to every one of you for being with us today and every day. There's a famous section in the Haggadah, Keneged Arba Banim Dibra Torah. The Torah speaks about four different types of children. Now, the first layer of this famous passage is that it is a brilliant answer to a difficult question in the Torah. In the text of the Torah, there are four different times, four different places, where the Torah tells us what to say to our children about telling the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And each time, what the Torah tells us to say to our children is different. And in three of those times, what we are to say to our children comes in response to an answer. The Torah tells us your, ch your child will ask, and this is the answer that you give. And one of those times, the Torah tells us what to say without a child having asked anything to begin with. So the question in the Torah, the question in terms of interpreting the Torah itself is, <clears throat> why are there four different answers? <clears throat> why not? Why wouldn't there be a single answer of what we tell our children in about going out of Egypt? And so the Haggadah, the authors of the Haggadah, are giving us an answer to that question. And they explain, each child needs an answer related to them. An answer for their level, for their interest. And so the first lesson in teaching children, and this applies to parents and it applies to teachers, and it applies on Pesach, but it applies all year long. The first lesson, if you want to teach children, you have to start with listening. You have to start with listening to understand what does the child know, what interests the child, what does the child want to know, and what answer will be most helpful for what the child is looking for. So the first step of teaching has got to be listening. And then, if we are listening properly, <clears throat> the consequence of close, careful listening is that our answer will be tailored to that child. It will be focused on them, what they need to know, what they need to hear in order to understand. There's a fundamental difference between teachers who want to teach you what they want to teach you and teachers who will learn and sense what their listeners need to hear in order to answer the questions that they have. That's just two fundamental paths. The first one is not so good, and the second one is what our Mishnah is teaching us, what our Haggadah is teaching us. So, okay, that is the parenting pedagogic lesson that the Haggadah teaches us adults. Of the four, <clears throat> I have always been most interested in the one called the Russia the wicked one. 
First of all, before we go any further, let's please understand. There are no wicked children. Th these four terms, Chacham, Russia, etc., they do not refer to specific children. No matter how many times one sibling will say about another sibling at the table, this is you, that's wrong, and that should be discouraged. These are rather four aspects of every child, four aspects of every one of us that will come in different proportions and come to the fore in different contexts. The conversation with the Russia is so interesting because it is so difficult to understand. First of all, what the Russia says seems to be quite legitimate. Russia Mahu Omer. What does the Russia say? What is it that you're doing? Tell what is it? That doesn't sound like such a bad question. I know that the next line of the Haggadah tells us that his intention in saying those words is to exclude himself. But, by the way, if you just look one line earlier at the line of the question of the Chacham, the wise child that we're supposed to admire, he says almost the same thing. What are these laws that God commanded you? He doesn't say, what are the laws that God commanded me? He also seems to exclude himself from the commandments, just as much as the Russia does. <coughs> and the Russia asking this question, he sounds interested. He's not apathetic. He's not silent. And for some reason, the way most of us understand this passage, we choose to interpret it in the most unnecessarily negative manner, in the most unnecessarily defensive manner. Lachem v'lalo. If you would have been there, you would not have been included. You're outside. You're excluded. What? But, but, but he didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't imply that. It just seems that our answer is so unnecessarily aggressive and off-putting. It seems to me the way we normally understand it, it is the most counterproductive answer possible. Listen to this piece, please. This is a short article. It's written by somebody named Moshe Daniel Levine from a few years ago. And it's a short piece I saw on the internet. Happy Passover from the Wicked Son. For the past 2,000 years, my question on Seder night has been misunderstood. And rather than answer me, you tell me that if I had been in Egypt, I wouldn't have been redeemed. But you're missing the point. See, I don't believe in the story. I don't care if hypothetically I would have been redeemed or not. But you know what? 
There are a lot of other places I could have been tonight instead of coming to this Seder. I could have been at a party. I could be watching a movie. But I decided to show up. Unlike the many that the Haggadah does not even refer to who are not there. And the truth is, that is our real problem in Jewish life today. The ones who do not show up. He shows up. Answer me defensively. Answer me aggressively. I assure you I'll not be attending next year. So why am I here, he says. Well, he says, I'm skeptical regarding the meaning of many of these rituals. And I want to ask everyone at the Seder, please explain to me what this means to you. I don't understand. I don't see the meaning of it. Explain to me, each one of you at this Seder, explain to me what meaning does it have for you? I'm not asking out of mockery. I'm asking out of curiosity. I'm not purposefully excluding myself from the community. If anything, my presence tonight underscores, I want nothing more than to be part of the community. But unlike the other sons of the Haggadah, I am not ignorant. My question doesn't arise from a lack of knowledge about what's going on. I know the laws. I know the verses. I don't need to have to sit at the Seder and have these things explained to me as if I'm a child. What my question is about is what meaning do each of you find in these stories? Because I do have the sense that there is something buried here past all the superficial, past the details. But there is something captivating for Jews of all types to gather every single year and discuss. So please, without being defensive and telling me insults, try to answer my question. What does this service mean to you? I would love to have that person at my Seder. Because at our Seder, that is precisely what we try to do for everyone. And in fact, Rav Tzadok HaKohen, one of the great Hasidic masters, teaches us that we have been reading this passage incorrectly. We have been missing the point of what we are supposed to say to this child. And this is important for us, especially today, because what we see in the Jewish world today, lines being drawn, labels being placed, camps being set up against each other, division within the Jewish world. And those divisions within our community right here within our community. Those divisions are becoming stronger and more deeply divided than ever before. And this year in particular, we need to take a different approach. We need to take approach that is more embracing, that brings together these different groups. And the truth is, this is not just a Pesach concern. We need to do this all year. 
And we can start with Pesach. We can start at the Seder. Listen to the words of Rabbi Tzadok. <clears throat> and concerning the, the question of the Russia child, the answer, we say, Had you been there, you might not have gone out of Egypt. That's just the per first part of the line. However, you did go out of Egypt. Proof of which is you're here with us. And once you came out of Egypt, you are part of the Jewish people and nothing you do removes you from being part of the Jewish people. It is not true that you exclude yourself from the group. You are incapable of excluding yourself from the group. The whole point of the part that some Jews did not leave Egypt is that those Jews who did leave Egypt are automatically in, unconditionally. You are in. We are embracing you because you have not left the community. You're sitting with us. You are with us. You are as Jewish as we are, and we embrace you. That's the answer to the Russia. When we say the words, had you been in Egypt, maybe you would have not left Egypt. But you're not in Egypt. You're here with us. And once you're here with us, then we're all around the table. And that means that our job now is to take the questions of you and everyone else, and they can be difficult questions. They can be challenging questions. We may not even have all the answers to the questions, but we may not overlook the questions that you have because they are valid, because they are coming from one who is always unconditionally connected. The famous statement of Reb Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, the famous Hasidic Rebbe. So you know the story, the other part of the story, the five rabbis were in Bnei Brak, <clears throat> and they were discussing the exodus from Egypt all night long until their students came to them and said, the time of chakras, of davening in the morning has come. It's time to end the Seder. Levi Yitzchak uh, points out the word chakras, which means the morning service, is an acronym for Chacham, Rasha, Tam, and She'eni Yodeya. In other words, you can't leave the Seder until you have found a way to respond to all four of these types of children. Instead of dividing and creating lines, Pesach and Jewish life, especially now, must be about embracing and including. The first thing we say to this Russia, you are here with us. That is huge. And you are included unconditionally. And we will not rest until we find answers that will address your questions, your curiosity, because your questions are valid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
I want to finish with a story, a remarkable story. It's a story about a great man, Rabbi Herschel Schachter. Now, I know that I've quoted to you many times Rabbi Herschel Schachter, who is a great halakhic authority in New York, and I quote his opinions all the time. I have tremendous regard for him. He is one of the heads of Yeshiva University in New York. But this is a different Rabbi Herschel Schachter. They spell the names the same. And this Rabbi Herschel Schachter passed away a number of years ago. Of course, there was always a lot of confusion. Which Rabbi Herschel Schachter are you referring to? Because they both worked at Yeshiva University. But I had the privilege, I have the privilege to have a close relationship to this Rabbi Herschel Schachter. He should live and be well for 120 years. I also had the great privilege to have a close relationship to Rabbi Herschel Schachter of blessed memory, an amazing, incredible man in many, many areas. But what he is most widely known for, <coughs> most famously known for, is he was the first American chaplain to enter into the Buchenwald concentration camp at the immediate end of World War II. And he put together the first minion, the first davening service in Buchenwald. And it became quite famous because there was an iconic photograph that was taken. And that photo is in Yad Vashem and it's well known. And he's the one leading that service. Try to imagine what it must be for an American. Yes, he's a from young man, of course, he's a rabbi. But for an American to come to Buchenwald at the end of World War II and to lead davening for the first time. So he told this story about that experience. He's running the davening. He's in the front. He's leading the davening. The first minion for survivors after the war. <clears throat> he's trying to daven with them. He's trying to inspire them. And he is saying Kaddish with them. The first Kaddish after the Holocaust said by the survivors of Buchenwald, just, it overwhelms the mind to try to even imagine. And suddenly, from the back of this room, there are several hundred people there, from the back of the room, a man starts screaming, screaming, screaming at the top of his lungs. He won't stop screaming, screaming. To which God are you praying? To the God who brought your mothers and fathers to the crematoria, screaming and screaming and will not stop. To which God are you praying? He was hysterical. And he wouldn't stop. So you're in the front of the room, you're leading a service, someone in the back is screaming, what do you do? <clears throat> so what Rashakta did is he left where he was standing in front. He walked to the back of the room and approached this man who's screaming. And he gives this man a hug and doesn't say a word. And the hug lasts 20 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe it seems like an hour. 
and the man becomes quiet. And then Rabbi Shachter returns to his spot and he resumes the service. When he first told this story to his son, Rabbi J.J. Schachter, from whom I heard this story, he added the following detail. The man screaming in the back, I understand. That makes perfect sense. The pain and the sadness. That outburst is reasonable. But here's what's amazing. That man who had that outburst, he came to the service. He didn't have to come to the service. There were many Jews there. There were several hundred Jews that did come to the service, but there were many more Jews that did not come to this service. He didn't have to come to the service. Something drew him in. Something drew him in to come and scream at God. And what he screamed at God was eminently reasonable, given what he had experienced. That's the Russia. Maybe had he been in Egypt, he would not have left Egypt. But he did. And he is a Jew. And she is at our Seder. And they may be complaining, but they are there. And we must embrace them. The Jewish people is not complete without this person. And we have to try to answer after listening to him carefully. We have to try to answer as best we can in a way he can hear and appreciate that we embrace him and that we want to share with him what we know that will address his concerns. And we need to take this attitude with us all year long. Because this is the primary lesson in hen, into how to heal our fractured community. It starts at the Seder. My friends, I want to wish you all a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you in person soon. Thank you so much for joining today. I just want to remind you that in addition to our morning learning, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, I will be delivering a Shabbos Agadol Drasha, a class on the themes and hopefully inspiration for Pesach. That will be tomorrow night at 8 p.m., not on Thursday night, but rather Wednesday night at 8 p.m., but the same login as the Thursday night class. I invite you to unmute yourself. I'd love to hear any questions, discussion, agree, disagree.